Welcome, and thanks for joining us at the Central Baptist Podcast. Now, here's today's message. The scripture reading is Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 to verse 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you... Have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, church. I want to add my welcome to you, though, for being here at Central Baptist Church. We're so glad that you're here, and if you're joining us online, uh, thank you for joining us. I would like to give a special welcome to one person. You know that over the past several months, Scott Curry has promised us that he has a wife, but he hasn't produced her. Well, Scott was gone last weekend because he was in Calgary or Lethbridge, and uh, they drove all the way in their U-Haul truck, and they are here. I'd like to ask them to come up so we can just welcome Michelle, especially. And for those of you online, especially, who are not able to be here, we want you to be able to meet Michelle also. And uh, I just want to say welcome. It's so glad to have you here, and uh, we look forward to getting to know you. Thank you so much. If you've been here at Central Baptist Church over the last three months or so, you know we've been working our way through the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray that we often call the Lord's Prayer. And because of the universal scope of this prayer, we've been calling it the prayer that embraces the world. Our series, of course, has been interrupted several times over the last few Sundays to make space for some special events, things like... Well, saying goodbye to our good friend Barton Preeb and his wife as, as they left us from being, Barton was our lead pastor here and he's moved on to be our president. 
who knew? <laughs> the president of our denominational seminary, let's say, uh, to specify. And that's good for him, and it's also good for us in the long term, but we miss him here. We also, uh, last week, had a, a, a Sunday to celebrate Camp Kuanos and to commission the, st- the summer camp staff, and so that was also an interrupt in our series. But I'm here to say we're back on track, folks, and we have two more messages to give in this uh, sermon series, and I'll be sharing the one today, and we look forward to Scott wrapping up our series next Sunday morning. You know, this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, it's made up of six consecutive requests. And each week we've been looking at one. And today we come to request number five. On first reading, this request number five seems pretty simple and straightforward. But I hope that by looking at it more closely today, we will discover that actually it's a very bold request. I want to suggest perhaps even the most bold of all the requests in the prayer And it's a prayer that has massive practical implications, especially in the area of our relationships with each other. So here it is. Request number five in the prayer that Jesus Jesus taught us says this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Before we dive into an exploration of the significance of this request and its implications, let me take a few moments just to remind ourselves of the context. We're looking at this prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, Jesus begins the words that that he gave us with these words. He said, pray then like this. And he gave us these words here. And in a moment, I want to invite you to pray them aloud with me, to say these words aloud with me. But before we do that, I want to just make one comment. What what did Jesus mean when he said, pray then like this? Probably several things Jesus had in mind when he said that. But one of them is this practice that the church has developed down through the centuries is saying the words together in unison. We might call it a liturgical prayer. There's great value, actually, in liturgical prayers, but there's also a risk. The risk is that we disengage our minds and our hearts from the words, and they become mindless repetition. That's not helpful. But what I want you to do as we say these words is to engage your heart and engage your mind. These are the words that Jesus taught us to pray to have conversation with the living God who made us. So would you say these words with me? We say together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father God, would you take these words and would you allow them to sink into our souls and would you allow us to be responsive to what you want to say to us? And especially now with this request number five, forgive us our debts. Would you teach us, O Lord? Lead us by your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
you know, as I pondered this topic and probed into what it means to receive forgiveness and to offer forgiveness, I find myself bumping into very difficult questions in at least two areas. One area that I find these difficult questions is in the words that Jesus chooses to use as he talks about forgiveness. I don't know if you noticed the words at the end of the parable that Al read to us, but they're very difficult words. And Jesus just uses some shocking words when he talks about forgiveness, and that's difficult for me to grasp and understand. What was Jesus saying? But second, and on a very practical level, I think back over the the six decades of my life. Did you hear that? I know you don't think I'm that old, but six decades I've been around. But I can think back over times of conflict in my life. And I think back, and I think back to those times, and I think there's some confusion still about some of those times. And I've also walked alongside brothers and sisters who have gone through deep periods of conflict. And I don't know, there's just no easy answers to those situations. And I've come to the conclusion that, well, the complexity of human relationship is just that. It's pretty complex. And who really of us can figure out these lofty ideals of confession and repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. Human relationships are messy. And we sometimes bump into situations that we just don't know how to navigate, don't know how to find answers. And so this morning, rather than pretend to offer oversimplified solutions to complex questions, what I would like to do instead is to invite you to join me on a journey which I hope will be a journey of discovery. Our goal this morning is not to find easy answers to hard questions, but our goal rather is to find grace from God to take the next step in our journey of truly receiving the forgiveness that comes to us from Jesus and then turning and offering it to those who are around us. And in so doing, it's my prayer that we will discover a greater level of freedom and joy, the joy of life that Jesus actually longs for us to experience. So here's our prayer, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We'll ask three questions of this request. We're going to ask about the magnitude, we're going to ask about the means, and we're going to ask about implications. First, the magnitude. We're going to ask, what is the magnitude of this request? How big is the debt that Jesus is talking about here? Then we'll talk about the means, and we'll say, well, how is this debt that he's talking about actually paid? How does it get paid? And then we'll seek to respond to the truth of the magnitude and the means by saying, how should we respond? What are the implications of what we consider as we think about the magnitude and the means? First, then, the magnitude. 
Just how big is this debt to which Jesus refers? A few moments ago, Al read to us this uh, striking parable in Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus describes what the kingdom of God is like. And he says, the kingdom of God is like a king who had servants, and one of those servants owes the king 10,000 talents. That sounds like a lot. Actually, it is a lot. Perhaps more than what we realize. The NIV translation of of the Bible that I have at home has a footnote, and it says at the bottom there, listen carefully to this, one talent... One talent is worth 20 years of a day laborer's wage. This servant owes 10,000 times 20 years of his salary. For the sake of trying to get a handle on what this is, Jesus is using hyperbole here, and what he's saying to us is this is really an uncountable debt, but let's try to put some numbers to it to try to get perspective. For the sake of easy numbers, let's say that a day laborer in our context may make something like $50,000 a year. I don't know if they'll make that, but it's an easy number, and I need easy numbers. So $50,000 a year times 20 years, how much is that? That's a million dollars. And what is 10,000 times a million? Well, that's 10,000 million dollars. That's 10 billion dollars. And the point is, for a day laborer, that amount is not only unattainable, it's uncountable. Jesus is using hyperbole here to drive home a point. And he's saying to us, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And so we imagine what he's saying to us, the king is God. And we are that servant. In order for us to get a hold of the significance of what Jesus is teaching us when he says, Father in heaven, forgive us our debts. We need to realize that you and I are that servant. You and I are that servant in the story. We have a debt to God that is so big, it is uncountable. And you might say, well, I'm not such a bad person. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I try to do what's good. I try my best to do good things. I try my best not to hurt other people. My friends, I believe that we misunderstand what Jesus is teaching us in these words, forgive us our debts. If we only think about our recent failings, if we only think about the ways in which we've fallen down recently, forgive me, Lord, I yelled, I was so angry at my wife and children this morning that I yelled at them, forgive me, Lord. Such a prayer should be included in this request, but this request is so much bigger than our recent failings. We need to understand What is at stake here? In order to discover what's at stake, we need to look at the big picture of the story of the Bible and be reminded that we are all, every one of us, humans on this earth. We are all under the sentence of death. We are all those who fall short of the glory of God and who live under this condemnation as a result, the condemnation of death. The story of the Bible 
way back at the beginning, tells us that God creates the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and he makes everything perfect. All of the relationships are perfect. Humans are come into the story as the pinnacle of his creation, beings with whom he can have relationship, co-creators in the world, stewards of the earth. It's a beautiful life. But right there, early on in the story, we humans chose to turn away from this good life that God had given us and says, no, we want to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. We will choose our own way, and we will reject you, God, in the way that you're instructing us. And when that happens, there is a separation. And humans, every last one of us, become separated from God because of that choice. And we are all under the sentence of death and separation from God. And there is nothing that you and I can do on our own to regain that relationship with God that was broken in Genesis chapter 3. The debt that we owe to God because of that sin, every one of us, is uncountable. Let's go to the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 3, just to look at how Paul describes this universal human condition. In Romans chapter 3, Paul is talking to a mixture of Jews and, and, and Greeks in the city of Rome, and he's, he's saying it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek, we're all in trouble. Look at the words he uses. Uh, Romans chapter, nine, chapter 3, sorry, verse 9 says this, What then? Are we Jews any better off? Than those pagan Gentiles? No, not at all, Paul says. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none, N-O-N-E, none, is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does, what, no one does good, not even one. So the clear message of the story of Scripture is that no person has the ability to pay the debt to regain this relationship with God. Later on in Romans, Paul will say very clearly that the wages of sin is death. We can look back in other places of Scripture as well. The prophet Isaiah, way back hundreds of years before Jesus, described the human plight in this way. Listen to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. My friends, we will never understand the magnitude of this request. Father in heaven, forgive us our debts until we realize that we are the servants in that parable. We are the ones with this $10 billion debt hanging over us that we can do nothing about. This is the context that we need to understand this request. Father, forgive us our uncountable debt. A small hint, perhaps, of the boldness, a small illustration might be to imagine someone walking into their mortgage broker's office with $50 in their pocket and saying, do you know, I know that I owe you $1 million, 
I'm sorry, I can't pay. Please accept this 50 and let me go. Unthinkable, right? Somebody has to pay the debt. And so now we turn to our second question. If we cannot pay the debt that Jesus is talking about here, then who actually pays this debt in order that we can be forgiven? And as we come to talk about the means of how this debt is paid, we come to the beautiful center of the story of the Bible, the beautiful center of the story of the gospel, because we know that we cannot pay this debt. But the precise reason that Jesus came into the world was to pay that debt that we could not pay. Let me take you for a couple of moments to an amazing uh, couple of verses written by the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Please pay close attention to these words. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 say, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that is Jesus, having forgiven us all our debts, trespasses, sins, how? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And what did he do with it? This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. My friends, let's take a moment just to reflect on that. Reflect on the significance of this, of this action of Jesus. If, for the sake of argument, I quantify my own personal debt, which seems to be the point of the story, my own uncountable debt, if I describe it with this hyperbolic number of $10 billion, and I say, this is my personal record of debt, and Jesus canceled it when he hung on the cross. But then he didn't just do it for me. He did it for you and you and you and all the billions of people who have lived in this world. He took on all of that debt on himself. So that whoever believes might not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me ask you this question. Can you begin to imagine the size of the payment that Jesus paid as he hung on the cross? As he canceled your debt and mine? So that he can invite us to pray, Father, forgive us our debts. payment that Jesus paid is described in the scripture in terms of a cup. I'm so glad to be preaching this sermon on a communion Sunday. In a few moments, we'll participate in this meal of remembrance, and we'll remind ourselves that Jesus talked about this cup as he gave it to his friends, and he said, this is my, cup, my, my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, for what? For the forgiveness of sins. There are two cups in Scripture. This cup that we'll participate in in a few moments we call the cup of remembrance or the cup of the new covenant. But it's tied very directly to the other cup of Scripture, which is called the cup of God's wrath. The cup of God's anger. 
Psalm 75 and verse 8 says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. My friends, this is the cup of God's anger, of God's wrath. It's described in other places. You can look in the book of Revelation and in, in the prophets, and you can see that God is pouring out his full anger and wrath against all the sin and evil that has corrupted the good world that he has made. And we are guilty. Us humans, we are guilty. So horrifying is the prospect of drinking this cup that Jesus, on the night before he was to drink that cup, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you remember the story? So much anxiety, so much stress over the anticipation of drinking this cup. He was sweating blood through his pores. And he cried out to his father and said, if there's any other way to do it, let's do it a different way. This is so horrible. But he said, not my will. But yours be done. And on that night, that next night, Jesus drank the cup to the dregs. Can you feel the weight of the price that was paid to cancel your debt and my debt? Can you feel the weight of it? And can we bring all of this conversation back to this request that Jesus invites us to pray as he simply says to us, when you talk to your Father in heaven, pray like this, Father in heaven, forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. The magnitude of our debt is uncountable. The means through which it was purchased is equally uncountable. Who can imagine the sufferings that Jesus endured in order to purchase our forgiveness? Well, we need to talk about some implications. I'm very aware that our time is short and the implications are massive. My brief comments here may be seen as something like a taster, but I hope they can be encouraging and challenging at the same time. I want to summarize my comments about implication in two points. And the first one is this. I want to say freely receive and freely give. And secondly, we'll just talk briefly about keep bringing your forgiveness struggles to the cross. First of all, then, freely receive freely give. What does it look like for us, for you and I, to freely receive the forgiveness of God? It depends, I believe, on your picture of God. What do you imagine God to be like? If your picture of God is God is a stern judge and he's stingy and he dispenses forgiving, forgiveness grudgingly, or is that begrudgingly? If you are here last week, we were having some fun with that. But is God this stern judge who just, just hands out a little bit of forgiveness if you really beg for it? No. 
Or on the other side is God, a senile old man who doesn't really care about sin. Just do what you want. I'll welcome you into my kingdom. No, that's not the picture of God either. The picture of God in Scripture is that of a loving father, a loving father who does not for a moment lower his standard of holiness, but whose heart is bursting with love and forgiveness towards humans who will turn to receive the gift that comes to us because of the price that Jesus paid. Let me take you very briefly to one of the most well-known stories that Jesus told. It goes like this. A man had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, give me half of my estate so I can go spend it however I want. Do you remember that story? What's it called? We usually call it the prodigal son, right? As the story goes, the son spends his inheritance in wild and foolish living to such an extent that he ends up destitute, living with pigs, eating their scraps. And then it comes to the end of himself, he makes a decision. He turns. He repents. He says, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need my father. And he turns and he says, I'll go to him and I'll say I've sinned and I'll beg to be one of his servants. Do you know what the most surprising element in this story is? The most surprising element in this story is the action of the father. So much so that one commentator suggests we should call this parable the parable of the running father. It's not proper, especially in that culture, for older men to run. They were stately. They were dignified. They wore long robes. But the father in our story, when he spots his son on the horizon. Still a long way off. What does he do? He tucks his, the folds of his robe into his belt. And with a certainty of becoming the laughingstock of his community, he runs for all he's worth. And his heart is beating with love for this son who was lost but is now returning. And his boundless mercy causes him to withhold judgment from the son, the judgment he deserves. And his amazing grace causes him to lavish good gifts upon this wayward son, whom he declares was lost but is found, was dead but now is alive. My friends, this is God. This is our picture of God. He loves to forgive. This is the heart of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. If you're hearing my voice today, whether you're here or whether you're online, and you have not come to that point in your life where you've come to the end of yourself and you've just turned your life completely over to Jesus by repenting and saying, I can't do this anymore. I need your help, God. Let me assure you that God is just like the good father in this story He is scanning the horizon. He's looking for people who will truly humble themselves, realizing they have a debt they can never pay. And then he runs, and he will run towards you, lavishing his mercy and grace upon you. He will forgive you and make you his child. Jesus has already paid your debt. That's why it's possible. And there will be a great celebration among the angels in heaven as you become a forgiven child of God. If you haven't made that decision, that choice, that that life decision yet, let me encourage you to do so, even today. If you have questions about it, we would be more than happy to chat with you after the service.
But I also wish to speak in this area of freely receiving forgiveness to those of us who are followers of Jesus, to those of us who have received this gift of eternal life. We are children of God, but we find ourselves still in this broken world and these broken bodies, and sometimes we fall prey to the temptations of this world. And perhaps even today there is a persistent area in our life where we keep falling into unwanted thoughts, unwanted words, unwanted behaviors which we know are not part of the life that Jesus has for us. And we feel today weighed down by shame and guilt. Jesus invites us also to come to the end of our own self-improvement projects, self-improvement efforts, and humbly repent and turn towards this same running Father who is eager to forgive eager to lavish his forgiveness on you and say, Father in heaven, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So having freely received God's abundant forgiveness, we then turn to consider these hurts that we receive from other people. These interpersonal conflicts and struggles that we have. How should we treat someone who has hurt us deeply? And here's where we come to realize that Jesus raises the bar on this issue very, 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 very high with difficult words. At the end of the words that we said together in Matthew 6, there's a a footnote in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. Let me just read these words to you. This is what Jesus says at the end of the prayer that he taught says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. These words combined with the words at the end of the parable that we looked at before represent those kind of challenging words that I spoke of. They're words that shock us. They're words that raise all kinds of questions. And without trying to undermine the shock value of these words from Jesus or offer oversimplified solutions, let me make some brief observations. First, we must not read these verses in isolation. We must read them in the context of the whole story of Scripture. Secondly, we need to remember and what we, what, we, what we realize from these hard verses, one thing we know for sure is that forgiveness for sin is central to the whole reason why Jesus came to the earth. Jesus came to the earth to purchase the debt that we couldn't pay. He came to forgive us our sins. Forgiveness is important. And so thirdly, I would just make the observation that these verses clearly indicate that God cares deeply about forgiveness. And so we cannot take it lightly. Commentator who looks at these particular verses in the Word Biblical Commentary series, I think has a helpful perspective. So I'd like to put his words on the screen. This is what he says. It is clear from these verses that a direct connection exists between God's forgiveness and our forgiveness. But it's a given 
in Scripture that God's forgiveness is always prior. And there he refers to the parable in Matthew 18 that we read earlier. But then he says this, these verses, 14 and 15 of chapter 6 of Matthew, are a forceful way of making the significant point that is unthinkable and impossible that we can enjoy God's forgiveness without in turn extending our forgiveness toward others. As we begin to draw towards conclusion, let me bring this down into the messiness of our human relationships. And to do so, I'd place my comments under our second implication heading where I suggested this. Let's keep bringing our forgiveness struggles to the cross. It's the only place, really, that we can make sense. Can we be open and frank with each other? All of us, at one point or another, have been hurt by another person. Something they said, something they did or didn't do. And perhaps, for some of us, these things have never really been resolved. For some, maybe it was a long time ago, something happened, but it's never really been dealt with, and the wounds are, are down deep, but not really dealt with. For others, perhaps the wounds are fresh, and the feelings are very raw. Let me ask this question. In light of this request that Jesus teaches us and what we've learned about it, and how Jesus is teaching us to pray about forgiveness. How, how should we deal with these things? Let me simply say that those of us who have experienced, and I believe this is the point of the parable that Al read to us, those of us who have experienced this uncountable debt being lifted off our shoulders, that amount of forgiveness, we ought to be able to turn and to deal with the hurts from other people in a way that is different from before we received that forgiveness, right? Once we realize the amount of our debt that we have been forgiven, how can we turn and not forgive somebody who has hurt us? This is the point of the parable. Our natural human tendency, of course, is to have angry words and break relationship when someone hurts us. The way of the community of Jesus and what Jesus is calling us to with these hard words is a community of confession and repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. In this way, I believe we, we show the love of Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus said? It's by the love you have for one another that the world outside will know that you're my followers. I think a lot of this love lives in this area of speaking truth in love to one another, dealing with the hurts that are between us, and offering forgiveness. To not forgive is to become a prisoner. Daryl Johnson has a great quote from a Christian ethicist by the name of Lewis Meads who says this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner is you. As a transition to our communion meal this morning, I would also like to share something else from Daryl Johnson, who, by the way, wrote a great book on the Lord's Prayer. I recommend it to you. 57 words that changed the world. Let me just read this little exercise that he gives at the end of his chapter on this, on this topic. Daryl Johnson says, Allow me 
to lead you now in a debt cancellation exercise. I invite you to bring to mind the person you are having a hard time forgiving. I invite you to tell the Father the person's name. And I invite you to tell the Father exactly what this person did to you. Be honest, be specific, and ruthless. Now tell the Father what you would like to see happen to this person. Do not be afraid. He knows what's in your heart, even if you do not tell him. Tell him how you want to see this person punished or shamed or hurt as you were hurt. And now imagine standing at the bottom of a hill. And on the top of the hill is a cross. Jesus is hanging there. He invites you to come up the hill. What do you want to say to him? More of what you've already told the Father? Look into his eyes. Tell him how hard it is to forgive. And now, as an act of your will, go back down the hill and invite the person who hurt you to come back up the hill with you. Bring the person to the foot of the cross and looking at Jesus and pointing to that person as an act of your will, say, Jesus, grant this person what you have granted me. And hear Jesus say, I will. Blessed are you. You are never more like me and my Father than when you forgive. Go in peace. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.